0: Hey, I'm Nick, creator of CannaCribs and Growers Network, where we have educated millions of people on how to elevate their craft. I have toured some of the largest grow operations, befriended the best growers, and built a network of the top cannabis companies. Join me on this next adventure, where I document history with the pioneers shaping the global cannabis industry in real time. Welcome to the CannaCribs Podcast. The Can of Crips podcast is brought to you by the top brands in the game. We have five categories you want to highlight to help you elevate your craft. Cultivation by Grodan, Lighting by Horticultural Lighting Group, Nutrients by Athena, Post Harvest by grows and Dispensary by Trees. Thank you to these partners for helping us create the podcast and bring more knowledge to the world. If you want to support the Canter Cribs podcast, head on over to the link in the description or go to growershouse.com and check out these industry leaders today. We've been talking for about a, a year now and I want to invite you over to the podcast. Uh, we just started working on Canter Cribs Consulting together, which we'll, we'll dig into a little bit deeper, but why don't you share with our community a little bit more about your impressive background?
1: Yeah, if, uh, I have to start from uh, early on, where I discovered my passion for agriculture. So I grew up in the, one of the biggest apple growing regions in uh, Europe, which is actually located in uh, Northern Italy,
0: okay.
1: and uh, from early on it was quite difficult not to be exposed to uh, apple production in one way or another. So during high school, I already started to work on apple orchards during the summer months, and I think there I discovered my passion for fruit production at the beginning. Wow! So after high school, I I started studying agriculture in uh, Central Italy, basically in Bologna, and uh, since then, it was initially it was mostly fruit production or, or row crops or uh things like that but I got uh, early on interested by climate basically and uh the the effects of the climate on agriculture. So I did quite some modeling uh basically climate modeling and uh afterwards I got interested in uh Covered uh, crop production mm-hmm. with, because you have a much more degree of control of the crop there. Uh, so, and then I started working in a big greenhouse where we produced uh, mostly bedding plants, but a lot of different species, which most of the people I think know is like petunias, caliber cores, right. and so on. Uh, but uh, and then i entered into cannabis and i'm sticking to it since then
0: and i believe in my research i found that you have a phd from humboldt university but not the Humboldt university that everyone's thinking of
1: oh no it's uh, i'm european i'm born there and moved to canada uh, around 2014. so it's a university it's actually the oldest Uh, One of the oldest universities, which have a PhD programs in Europe. The PhD program was born there in the 18th century. And it's uh, one of the three universities of Berlin, Germany. And so, yeah, I started doing my PhD there after my studies in Italy.
0: That's incredible. And what did you get your PhD in, Philip? In agroclimatology.
1: So that's basically uh, a science which... Uh, mostly analyzes the effects of uh, climate change on on fruit or generally on agriculture. In I was I specialized in fruit production in this case. So what we were doing is running uh, climate models as far as 2,100 into the future,
0: yeah. and
1: we were applying this data and see the effects on uh, fruit production. So. For example, if the late frost is going to change over the next 80 years, or even how the yields are going to change over the next 80 years, we're going to have more or less yields and uh, things like that.
0: That's incredible. So you, from a young age, started with a a pretty big passion uh, with agriculture. Um, And then going over to Canada, that's kind of the first foray into cannabis production?
1: Uh, Not right away. I still worked in the greenhouse industry, large scale greenhouse industry in the Niagara region here in Canada.
0: Mm
1: And in 2016, then uh, the cannabis, I noticed the first time that the cannabis industry was exploding in Canada and growing really, really quickly. And I thought I want to be part of that historic moment. And uh, I want to basically apply my knowledge in cannabis production because it was such a wide sleeve uh, crop, a blank crop where uh, there was not much research done at that point and all production was done, most production was done on a small scale. So I thought I can contribute a lot to that industry by applying Mm -hmm. my knowledge
0: there. Mm -hmm. And can you tell me a little bit more about the companies that you're working for and the roles that you had with them?
1: Uh, yeah, previously, uh, the first my first job in cannabis was for uh, Medrelief, which uh, was one of the big at the time was one of the biggest cannabis producers in Canada, and uh, I was hired as a scientist, as a senior scientist there, and my role was uh, to optimize the cultivation system because there was not much data out there uh and uh, so i was tasked to create uh let's we called it a cultivation database okay so we collected as much data as possible from the cultivation process and created that database and from there we started doing data analysis and that way we were able to learn cycle after cycle and improve basically yield and product quality cycle over cycle over three years that I worked there, we were actually able to improve yield by 40% and keeping the quality of the product consistent.
0: Wow. And, you know, the, the topic that we're going to really dive into today is all about canopy management. And I'm sure that played a huge part. Um, and one quick note. So you started talking with Nate um, from our side about a year ago. Um, and, you know, we, we've been receiving a lot of interest in opening up some sort of, you know, like a consulting division, if you will. Um, all the farms that we go out to film, they're pristine. They're the largest, the biggest, the baddest in their markets. But what about everyone else? You know, what about the farms that uh, maybe need a little bit of consulting help? So we started working together uh, recently um, and are happy to, to launch Canacrib's Consulting with yourself and your team. Um, so this is a great way for our audience to get to know who you are, uh, get a little little bit of a you know uh, deep dive uh, into your knowledge with uh, canopy management, um, and hopefully uh, we can have uh, the rest of your team on uh, in uh, following interviews.
1: Yeah, like uh, I started talking with Nate. We met through mutual friends about a year ago we had several conversations about a lots of different topics and we felt like that uh, our companies had quite some synergies and so we decided uh, to start this project which is Cannabis Consulting and I think the big advantage of Cannabis Consulting is that now uh, we cannot offer only uh, operational consulting on our end but we can connect that to equipment and materials and so Mm -hmm. be much more efficient for our clients that way yeah and if you want to know more about this project uh definitely ask any question what you want or inquire there's going to be a link in the description which uh simply click on it and be reach out to us
0: yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, we'll make everything available uh, to everyone listening and now let's Dive into some canopy management. So I know that you're writing a chapter on an entire book um, around cannabis uh, cultivation in general, and your chapter is specifically on canopy management.
1: Uh, Yes, that's correct. Like Me together with two of my uh, colleagues at Sustanza Global, uh, we're writing this book chapter, and uh, it's uh, basically on canopy management. We decided to give it that term, which for us comprises all uh crop work which is done during the crop cycle and that would be de or pruning or training the camels bee, basically
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: we're really excited for that book to come out
0: yeah and before it comes out today we get a, a sneak peek so tell me at the very you know kind of rudimentary level what is canopy management
1: yeah, as as previously mentioned, canopy management we see it as all the crop work done uh, to actually management and shape your canopy, yeah. and uh, it is from us it, it is it is uh, more uh, an art than a science currently in cannabis, I think. So, uh, there is, has been the, all those growers which applied uh, techniques over the last decades to grow this crop. Mm-hmm. but uh, and they learned over time what works and what not works. But from a scientific perspective, there's not has not been much work done. So what we try to do in a book chopper or in general to try, to get uh, other agricultural crops for which a lot of research has been done on that, and apply those principles in cannabis, but at the same time getting that knowledge what uh, growers, experienced growers have, and try to combine that to find an optimal canopy management program.
0: And growers. Whether we film them or all the way down to people, you know, growing at home, they have a lot of things to worry about. Um, how would you sum up the importance of canopy management in the stack of, you know, all the problems that a grower might be uh, trying to solve on a daily basis? Uh,
1: that, I think the canopy overall is is very important in a sense that. the We are trying to influence all other parameters such as uh, irrigation or nutrition or changing our environmental parameters to see what effect it has on the canopy. And the canopy or part of the canopy is actually what we are harvesting. So Mm -hmm. in the case of tomatoes, we're going to harvest the fruits, which are part of the canopy. And in case of cannabis, it's actually the flowers, which Mm -hmm. we are going to harvest. So all parameters which we actually trying to change and influence uh, are actually directed towards our canopy.
0: Right on. And what would you summarize the overall effects canopy management, you know, proper or improper could have on your crop?
1: Yeah, there is not one single parameter, which is important for managing a canopy. I see it more as a a balance, as something where different parameters have to be managed the right way to create an overall good outcome of Mm -hmm. my crop. And it's hard to pinpoint it down. Uh, I would say, for example, for large-scale production, uh, it is often different to do all my crop work, so the pruning and the leafing at the correct time Because there's a lot of labor scheduling involved and it's not always possible to get to to this specific crop on the the right timing. And so there it starts to be a bit challenging because if my canopy overgrows, then uh, I have to go in there and change my approach and maybe delete more or prune more. And uh, at the other hand, there we can mitigate the problem to a certain degree if we have knowledge about how environmental parameters actually influence the canopy and the effect on those, uh, on those parameters, on the growth uh, of my canopy.
0: Totally. And there's a, a lot of growers listening to this right now that probably think they are the best in the world at canopy management. So um, can you outline uh, a couple of the common problems that you uh, see in, in proper canopy management and, and maybe they uh, might be able to identify with that and, and tweak a little uh, here or there in their garden?
1: It's more, you have, I think you have to see different, uh, the kind of, it's based on all other input parameters, what you have, basically. So already your planting density are going to determine a lot of different uh, timings and intensities in which you're going to do the pruning and the cultivation mm-hmm. and uh, uh, the pruning and the defoliation. Uh, so there it's hard to pinpoint it down to one problem. Okay. Uh, it's, it's more see it as a whole system and uh, try to apply uh, physiological principles to what you want to achieve with your crop work.
0: Mm-hmm. And are there some best practices that you could share with us on overall canopy management?
1: Uh, it's definitely, I think all grower would agree. That just some kind of management is necessary, mm-hmm. and that has also been shown on other agricultural crops. That if I do some crop work, I'm gonna have a better outcome basically of my crop. Uh, it's all over it depends on your system basically, but I think for most system, some sort of delieving is definitely necessary. Uh, and uh, the amount of the leafing depends also on the scale on which you cultivate.
0: For sure.
1: For large, like say cultivators, it's definitely difficult to get in there and do everything to perfection. Where if I have a small uh, grow up, then I can manage that then much better. Look at mm-hmm. the crop. But uh, overall, yeah, I think to consider those physiological principles when you do things, that's definitely the key. And in a good management program
0: totally well let's let's dig deeper into those physiological factors uh, what can you tell us about lighting and its impact on canopy management uh,
1: so there's yeah definitely different parameters which play into that and uh, lighting is it's very important that's the main not the main but one of the main tasks of the canopy and the leaves in particular it's uh, to intercept light. So, no, there is a, a very interesting principle in horticulture in general, which says that uh, light uh, and uh, yield have a linear relationship, okay. meaning that if I, I increase my light intensity by 1%, I'm going to have between half a percent and 1% more yield. But then a grower says, that's great. Then I uh, increase my, my light intensity from 600 to 1,000 micromoles, and I'm going to have 20 to 40% more yield. But uh, you have also always to consider all other cultivation parameters in the same way. So no parameter has to be limiting. So that only applies the cases when my nutrition parameters are not limiting or my irrigation is not limiting in this case and that in another important point is that incoming light needs actually to be captured by the canopy so if i have uh light coming in but my canopy is too sparse mm-hmm. and light is able to penetrate to the canopy and hit uh i don't know my growth table or the floor of my cultivation area that means that my canopy is not intercepting all the light possible, and I'm wasting light in this case. Right. So I need would need to, to increase the density of my canopy. Okay. Whereas... So you can't just if,
0: crank it up, you're saying. It's not that simple. It's um, not that simple. And you could be losing a lot of money due to electricity costs, maybe overpowered lights for how much you need.
1: Exactly, yeah. Uh-huh. And there's the opposite side of the spectrum, where my canopy is too dense, then. Uh, Hmm. So the light is not able to penetrate into the canopy and reach the lowest level of uh, leaves, basically. And so those leaves actually don't do no good because they don't do any photosynthesis in this case and contribute to the growth of the canopy.
0: Mm. And does this factor in, uh, like when you're going out and consulting these large scale grow operations, um, does this factor into the type of lights? You know, there's this huge debate going on right now is, are, have we reached the tipping point in the market of fully shifting over to LEDs? Um, what, what's your experience tell you about that?
1: Uh, on the type of light, I think still the most important part from the light is it, is it intensity. Mm-hmm. And now only we are scratching the surface about what light spectrum can do actually to the plants, And uh, so there are a lot more studies have to be done. I know there's some interesting stuff which came out recently and uh, which can be applied. Uh, but uh for now i would focus mostly on light intensity definitely and first dial in the part of the light intensity Mm
0: -hmm. and then
1: try to play around with light spectrum to achieve a specific uh tasks for specific steering of my crop what i want to do
0: right and in your research i i was reading in that sneak peek uh this concept of leaf area index can you tell me a little bit more about that
1: yeah that's a concept which is around or more a concept than a parameter that's around more uh since many decades in uh horticultural production but also in forestry and it is basically a parameter which uh, we are able to measure the density of the canopy So what uh, it is, the definition of this is basically the one-sided leaf area per unit uh, floor area. Mm. So if we have, for example, let's suppose that we have three leaves, uh, which are each exactly squared and exactly one square foot. So if I would put those leaves and stack them one above each other, I would cover three square foot of leaf area on one square foot of floor area. And in this case, uh, leaf area index would be three. And uh, as easy as it sounds, basically, on paper, it is actually quite difficult to measure. And uh, because the canopy is like we have leaves with different leaf angles, Mm -hmm. smaller, bigger ones. So how I measure that, It's, it's actually a big task. And so research groups came up with uh, different methodologies to measure it. And the big difference between those is that they can be indirect methods or direct methods. So the direct methods involve basically to pick every single leaf of the canopy of a certain surface area. So let's say I have 10 square feet and my camopea uh, covers the 10 square feet, and I pick each single leaf of the plant, and then I scan that single leaf to determine uh, the leaf area. In most recent years, you can use also a software, a software like Image J, which is imaging process software, and then once I know the leaf area of each single leaf, I add them up, and uh, in this way I can determine uh, leaf area index.
0: So that is a parameter that you use for your feedback loop on adjusting your overall environment and system for your canopy management.
1: Yes, but doing that, it's in this case, it's a bit difficult because each time I had, would have to destroy my whole plant, and it's mm. also very labor-intensive. It takes a long time yeah. to do. That.
0: When when would it make sense, Philip, for a grow operation to implement the leaf area index? Uh, it's
1: it's easy. It, there is methodologies where it's easy to measure actually, and they are the uh, indirect measures. Uh, so there, it's uh, it's a principle which is called the Beer-Lambert law, uh, and which is actually quite simple principles which tells you that a as sparse as canopy. Will absorb less light than a dense canopy. So what I'm simply doing is I have a light meter, a parameter, meter, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, have this uh, PAR meter and measure my light intensity on top of the canopy, and uh, then I measure the light intensity on the bottom of my canopy, so near the the growing substrate, and I take several measurements there uh, because. There's much more variability in the bottom of the canopy. Some spots let more light, less light through. And uh, this I can plug into a formula, and then this way I can determine leaf area index. And this one uh, we want to always keep it in certain ranges to know that enough light is intercepted, and enough light, uh, and not uh, too much light is uh, go through the canopy. Right.
0: And what are some of those ranges um would you say for a good canopy management versus bad canopy management uh
1: it's there have been a lot of study have been done on uh different agricultural crops and we have uh op- a lot of values for optimal leaf area index in this case mm. and uh in this case, basically, we can say that uh, it's definitely higher values for fruit production. In this case, hmm. for peach, I'm going to have a value, optimal value, which goes between seven, seven and ten. Where for apple production, I'm going to have a value which is around five, which want to achieve and keep. Uh, for in greenhouse crops such as tomato and bell peppers, a good value uh is around uh three to four and keep that consistent over time where for uh greenhouse cucumber it's a bit lower it's around two to three basically
0: Um, okay and do you have an optimal level uh that you have researched and kind of built out there for cannabis
1: uh yes we did a lot of measurements i would say that now they are peer reviewed study, but we do measurements at different facilities of our clients Mm -hmm. and correlate that to yield and product quality. And uh, overall, cannabis, I have to mention cannabis is a quite interesting crop because cannabis, we have two types of leaves. Once is we have the fan leaves, which is the, the bigger leaves which intercept the most light, mm. and then we have the sugar leaves or inflorescence leaves, the little mm-hmm. leaves which are between our, our butts. buds. So it's it's quite different compared to a lot of other crops. It's quite unique about cannabis that. Yeah. And yeah. what we are trying to achieve when uh, having uh, leaf area, an optimal leaf area index is you try to increase your leaf area index as fast as possible in an initial stages of growth. So you wanna have a leaf area index of 1.5 to 2 as fast as possible, so you can intercept all the light which comes in. And uh, afterwards, during uh, early and mid flower, uh, we recommend definitely having a bit higher leaf area index, around 2.5 to 4 and keep that consistent basically. So you have phases
0: Um, just trying to get to each one.
1: Yes, it it increases over time. And Mm -hmm. what you have to do to de-leafing, because it gets overcrowded, the canopy definitely, if you operate at certain planting densities. And by de-leafing, you take the leaves off again Mm -hmm. to be able to let more light in, so hit all the leaves. And that is around uh, a two and a half to... For a leaf area index around that range. Okay. Where towards the end of the cycle, we think that uh, it is recommended to have more light, at least hitting the lower part of the canopy. So also those buds will fill out, those flowers will fill out. And so there, it's better, I think, to reduce the leaf area index
0: a bit. Okay. Have you paired any research with, uh, you know, optimal canopy management with substrate, with lighting type of lighting? Have you guys got that far yet, um, or not? Not quite uh, yet. No.
1: It's there's different de- depending on which substrate to you use. Your canopy growth will be definitely different. So, for sure. uh, if you use, for example, rockwood wool is a very reacting substrate, so it dries down very quickly, is hydrated very quickly, and mm-hmm. it takes, plants take up, uh, is inert, so plants take up the nutrients. So if used correctly, it actually can outperform a lot of other substrates. So That's you, have a higher, a lot of... you have a higher plant growth, basically. Mm-hmm. And there it becomes definitely more critical that you do more pruning and leafing events compared to other substrates
0: yeah higher but maintenance I
1: yes i wouldn't like it it's a case by case study i mm-hmm. think it's not something universal what you can generalize this concept but it's something yeah. which you have to keep in the back of your mind when you use a certain substrate
0: absolutely we just got done filming um, at the time of this recording um, in LA, um, so we filmed the Jungle Boys, the originals, Source Cannabis. Uh, we're going back out there and, and filming a couple others, and really the the LA indoor market. Um, we're seeing a lot of rock wool, um, kind of that uh, you know little drip irrigation rock wool, that high maintenance, fast kind of race car type growing, um, mm-hmm. where. Uh, really precision uh, controlled environmental agriculture comes in um, and crop steering and you know all that good stuff and um, I'm sure it's across the country and other markets as well but especially in LA um, it seems like that's the trend out there
1: yeah I have to say like I'm from Canada so in Canada rock wool is a big growing substrate since many years and uh, it has a lot of advantages like uh, it's an inert substrate so It's really, you kind of bring it in your facility, it's clean. Uh, You don't have going to have any contamination problems. You're going to have the same uh, substrate, getting the same substrate time over time. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: from a growth perspective, I like it because it's so reactive. So it's each time you change a parameter or you want to change something, it's right away reflected in the canopy, you know. Uh, What you give the plants, they they take
0: up in this case Uh yeah immediately uptake well we're going to take our first break philip and when we get back we're going to talk about shade avoidance and the overall impact on the plant
1: sounds good since
0: 1969 the year woodstock was born so was growdan the company that has been a worldwide leader in supplying innovative and sustainable stone wool growing media solutions over the last 50 years, customers from commercial hydro growers to hobbyist growers have been using Grodan products to cultivate safe, healthy, and high-quality cannabis vegetables and plants. Grodan's precision growing principles, coupled with innovative products and expert technical advice, gives you, the grower, all the knowledge, power, and tools you need to grow more yields while using less water, nutrients, and energy. Check out growdan101.com to learn more or head over to their social media. They're pretty big on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, etc. It's growdan101 and you can check them out for inspiration, education, giveaways, and more. Alright, so we're back from our first break and I really would love to dive into shade avoidance. So starting off, what... What is shade avoidance, Philip?
1: Yeah, shade avoidance is actually an interesting mechanism which uh, plants have or do, and uh, the basis on that is that plants are able to react to environmental stimuli and uh, create certain trigger certain responses to that. So one interesting mechanism like that, I think, is. Uh, actually, plants can sense when they have plants nearby mm. Mm. and can react to that. So, if we operate at high planting densities, for example, then uh, plants start to competing for light and for nutrients and mm-hmm. for water. So, and uh, that's based on basically because they feel they experience shape. So plants experience shade through light spectrum actually. And so uh, that happens actually, when uh, the far red to red ratio increases, a plant senses shade, and then it's trying to compete with the plants around itself. And uh, that in cannabis manifests itself uh, mostly Everybody knows it, but mostly through stretching. So when uh, plants compete for light, they start stretching, meaning that the internodes elongate. And uh, one more response, what cannabis has on that end, is uh, that uh, the branching on the lower part of the plant is reduced because it experiences shade. Uh, And also often uh, elongation of the petioles, but also, one interesting point is that it could increase sociability to pests and diseases, actually, when the plants experience this shade and try to avoid it.
0: Wow. So, proper canopy management should avoid shade avoidance? Uh,
1: yes. As it much can, as possible? Uh, yes, and no, depending on which growth stage and what uh, which stage of cultivation you are currently. Let's say, uh, sometimes uh, it could be even taken as, as an advantage. Okay. Uh, let me give you two examples. One example is uh, during the rooting of the cuttings. So if I have my cuttings, I wanted to root them, and generally I try to pack as many cuttings in one tray, so, uh, because space in facilities is very at the premium, so For I try sure. to increase my planting density as much as possible. And uh, so, when I have my cuttings root, uh, initially uh, they're going to have roots. Once they established roots, then they're at such a high density that uh, they start and start outcompete themselves. And some are going to stretch more than others. And that creates uniformity. Uh, that's a loss of uniformity in this case. Okay. And that I was trying to avoid. So there we recommend definitely once leaves overlap more than 30% between one cutting and the other uh, to end as soon as the cuttings are rooted to transplant them. So don't keep them too much in the cloning trays after they're rooted. And another example where actually I can have shade avoidance as an advantage is uh, I have uh, a mother plant. And that specific variety of, uh, of cannabis uh, grows really, really compact butter plants. So it takes a long time uh, for me to be able to harvest cuttings because I want cuttings of a certain size, of a certain length. Mm-hmm. So there I actually can play around with spectrum. So if I'm adding a far red to my light spectrum, uh, then my plants start stretching and uh, I can harvest cuttings earlier in this case. Mm. So it takes much less times for the cuttings from between one cutback and the other to grow back. Right. If I'm able to reduce that time from let's say 20 days to down to 13, 14 days, then that's over a a lot of a money year. saved. Yeah, over a year I can harvest much, much more cuttings of that plant. And uh, another tip like that, it doesn't need to have to introduce a far red light for the whole uh, day, basically. Studies in tomatoes have shown that I need to only introduce this far red maybe half an hour to an hour by the end of my day. And I need only to add around, let's say, one to ten uh micro modes in my light spectrum so small amounts over a short time Mm -hmm. already create this this effect Mm -hmm.
0: so ultimately uh the primary goal of canopy management is to increase the yield and potency but what are some other goals that uh, canopy management uh, can provide
1: yeah I think uh, every grower wants always to increase yield and potency, and that's something for what we also optimize a lot. But uh, especially large-scale producers or also medium, what they want to have also is a crop which is uniform. No? Mm. We try for uniformity of the crop, meaning that we want to have buds, which are more or less all the same size, and they want to have all the same Terpene profile. So in this case, uh, what happens often if I don't manage my canopy and it's overgrown, then I'm gonna have my top flower or buds which develop nicely and they become big and have an elevated uh, THC or cannabinoid content. But the lower part of the canopy, <clears throat> which uh, no or not enough light hits. Those buds are not going to fill out, basically. And uh, so through the uh, we recommend it more or less two weeks before harvest. You're able to increase the light penetration also through those lower buds, and so they fill up. And so you're going to have a much more uniform batch, which you can sell afterwards.
0: Another thing that I came across in reading that chapter that you wrote was the source and sink relationship. Uh, what, what's that all about? Uh,
1: yeah, that's an important physiological uh, principle to consider in, uh, in, in agriculture in general. So if we take a step back and uh, see that uh, on the basis of, every t- of a lot of things photosynthesis are, So uh, there is uh, photosynthesis, which uh, basically carbon dioxide uh, together with water and utilizing light energy is transformed into photosynthetic assimilates or sugars. Mm -hmm. And there are certain parts of the plants or organs of the plants, such as the leaves, which are responsible for photosynthesis and they produce uh, those photosynthetic assimilates, and to produce more as they need, and then they send them to different organs. So in this case, leaves, we consider them as a source. So it's a source of assimilates for other organs, where organs like the fruits, or also Mm -hmm. the roots, they are sink organs. So that means they receive more sugars of photosynthetic assimilates, and this Therefore, they're called sink.
0: So, when talking about source and sink relationship, does it differ uh, during the different stages of a plant life cycle?
1: Yes, it definitely differs for uh, many organs on the plants. So, the best example I think is uh, the leaf. The leaf uh, starts out and initially is actually a sink organ. So, okay. it requires more. Uh, sugars than it actually produces and then at, the, at one point in his life cycle it switches from sink to source, so it produces more sugars, but then it actually can revert back, so meaning that when it gets old it it doesn't produce so much sugars anymore, or even when it's shaded, and that's an important mm-hmm. point, so when it doesn't receive enough light a leaf can switch from uh, source to sink, so it's actually not useful in this case anymore because it needs more energy than it produces. Right. And fruits at the other part are mostly sink organs. They are sink organs, and uh, but here it's an interesting principle that we can introduce, which is the sink strength. So at certain parts in their lives, different organs have different strength on attracting sugars. Mm-hmm. So in initial growth stages, uh, fruits generally don't attract that much sugars. But over towards the end of their life cycles, all sugars are flow- going into the fruits because on on a principle, they, uh, they basically protects the survivor of the species. Yeah, that is so, so fascinating. And where roots are generally really weak sync uh, organs, and if there is uh, enough sugars in the plants, they're going to go through the roots, but it's generally the first organ which doesn't receive any photosynthetic assimilates anymore.
0: Wow. So, Philip, let's apply this to the overall canopy management subject. How does source and sink uh, or how is source and sink ratio or relationship impacted uh, by the overall canopy management?
1: Yeah, there are over the years, especially in horticultural crops, there have been developed many strategies to actually apply this sink source relationship to increase yield and product quality. And I would like maybe let's talk about fruit production, for example, mm-hmm. uh, an apple tree. So I'm going to have an apple tree, uh, which at the beginning of uh, the growth cycle, uh, it flowers and has a lot of flowers on it. And uh, then the flowers get pollinated and create little fruits, and they come to the end of the cycle, and then we are going to have uh, apples on my tree. So, if I had a lot of little apples at the beginning, I'm going to have a lot of small fruits which are not good quality. So, what a farmer generally does, it already during the flowering of the apples wants some flowers are pollinated there's products which you can spray uh which are not recommended for cannabis but it's a products which you can spray and uh they drop all the remaining fruits and then uh sorry the flowers and mm-hmm. then we reach to the little fruits and then a farmer looks at the fruit load what he has on that tree and then uh if it's still too much, he starts picking small apples off uh, and that actually increases, this way he increases the the competition between the other other, other apples. And so those apples are going to become much bigger and having a higher quality, actually. Um, And if we think about a bit this in cannabis production, often we do... Quite similar things like Mm -hmm. we know that uh, often when if I have really really dense canopy I start pruning up the bottom part of my canopy so I I actually prune off those leaves that are currently more a sink than a source so uh, because they don't receive any light anymore and I also prune off uh, like flowers which I know they're not never going to fill in on the bottom of the canopy so that way I actually increase the sink strength of my flowers, which are more on top of the canopy. And they're going to likely fill out more and have a better quality.
0: Definitely. And I really want to get into airflow. And I think we're just about to get there. So we're going to take our final break. And once we jump back in, Philip, we'll go over airflow, disease prevention, and all of that uh, related to canopy management.
1: Yeah, sounds great.
0: At this point, if you've been watching our episodes on Canna Cribs and Deep Roots, you've probably seen the GrowSense platform by Grodan. But let's dive in a little bit more and let's answer some of those questions you might have about the platform. The GrowSense system enables 24-7 real-time insight into the WC, EC, and temperature of the Stonewall substrate. The system can be connected to most of your climate control computers, to provide an instant continuous display of the data in graph form. It also enables more detailed information to be displayed on any external computer connected to your internet or ethernet. So at the end of the day, you might be wondering, well, Nick, how does this apply to my farm? And let's dive into that. The GrowSense platform provides valuable, timely information and guidance to help you optimize the irrigation strategy, allowing yourself to improve the yield and quality of your crops. In combination with Growdan's Stonewall substrates and technical advice, the GrowSense system makes it possible for yourself and other growers to optimize production and identify cost savings. In short, using the GrowSense system enables precision growing the most efficient and effective cultivation method for achieving maximum results with minimal use of resources. GrowSense, making precision irrigation possible. Check them out at growdan101.com. I'll link that in the description of this episode. And head on over to your favorite social platform, whether that's LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, etc. And check out at growdan101. They have a ton of inspiration, education giveaways and event news that you can stay on top of enjoy all right we're back from our final break philip and i would love to talk about airflow and typically you know when airflow comes up uh, in discussions with growers it's about disease prevention Uh, but in your chapter uh, you really you know get a little bit more granular than that and talk about boundary layers um, and how the thickness of the boundary layer affects the overall physiological processes. So I'd love for you to explain a little bit more about that for the audience.
1: Yeah, uh, like airflow is uh, a really interesting topic. And I think the, ne- the ne- airflow is necessary uh, for two reasons. Once, as you said, uh, for pest and disease prevention, but it is necessary actually also for photosynthesis. So the for the photosynthetic process we actually have light energy which comes in and together with carbon dioxide and water is transformed into sugars uh, now this therefore we need like a, a layer around the leaf where gas exchange happens so we gases, carbon dioxide comes in and other gases come out. And this really thin layer around the leaf is called boundary layer. And in order for the gas exchange to take place, we need to break this boundary layer. And uh, one, I think the most important parameter to do that is actually airflow. There is other parameters as leaf shape and if the leaves are hairy, or if temperature and relative humidity play also a role in it. But definitely airflow, I think, is the most important parameter with that.
0: Is there any correlation between the airflow and increased yield?
1: Uh, There is not a direct, a linear correlation in this case. It's not as more airflow I have, as more yield I'm going to have. I definitely need a certain amount of airflow to reduce the thickness of the boundary layer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that has been studied in several agricultural crops. And it's ge- generally in greenhouse production, it is recommended to have an airflow of 0.25 to so 0.5 meters per second uh, for having uh, good transpiration, a good a good photosynthetic rate. Uh, But it's also to mention that it is important that this airflow actually penetrates into the canopy. So leaves give a resistance to the airflow. So if I have air from top of the canopy, it tries to come in. As denser my canopy is, as more resistance uh, I will have, and it's faster it dies down. And then I start having microclimates inside the canopy and uh, which reduces my photosynthesis, but it's also really favorable for an environment for pest and diseases. So I have high humidities, and that increases my pest risk. Okay. For cannabis, I think we what we saw and did a lot of measurements, we recommend overall to have an airflow of 0.5 to 1 meter per second, but that has to be in correlation with a well-maintained canopy, so a canopy that is not too dense and not too sparse.
0: And do you have any products uh, that you recommend your clients uh, to use for that airflow? Uh,
1: Products there's different uh, air anemometers, they're called on the market, and they differ substantially by uh, their accuracy. So. Also, prices differ substantially by accuracy, so as more accurate we want to go, as more expensive it's going to get. But what we recommend is definitely to have a hot-wire anemometer, they're called. They are based on a principle that, for example, I have like a wire which heats up, basically, and based on the airflow, it cools down again, and a sensor is able to detect how based on how much it cools down, how much the airflow is, they are definitely I think the most uh, accurate, and I, I think the investment often is worthwhile to have an investment like that for measuring your airflow in,
0: in your facility. Totally, and I always like to ask about the products. Um, That way we can link to these solutions in the description. Um, So as people are following along and maybe they're not currently uh, measuring their airflow circulation of their rooms, now they can uh, based upon your recommendation. And I think that's a a great transition into uh, CannaCrips Consulting. So I'm super excited to be working with yourself um, and your team over at Sustanza Partners and I'd love to hear a little bit more about uh, your goals um, for combining forces with our team and offering consulting services to growers that um, can apply on the link in the description. What What are some of your goals in us working together?
1: It's definitely, I think by working uh, with ChronicOps Consulting, we have a much more efficient way for uh clients to access to materials to uh equipment and operational consultings and design consultings at the same way so it's Mm -hmm. everything is under one umbrella which makes it much more efficient than having to work with a lot of different companies
0: Mm. there's been a lot of interest uh, for Canter Cribs consulting over the past four or five years of us going out and filling uh, different corporations so um, you know we, we get hit up all the time and then finally we said okay we, we need to build a team um, and we need to bring on super smart people like yourself uh, but not not everyone is the best fit right so could you explain in your opinion Philip, uh, who would be the the ideal client for cantaribbs consulting? maybe the type of grow operation, where they're at in their uh, you know growth level. Uh, could you share a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a broad spectrum of clients, which are interesting for us. So we actually start out with companies that don't have any facility and need uh, design help with mm-hmm. designing the whole facility and the whole processes and everything. And uh, there we operate from small scale growers, such as micro growers in Canada, up to facilities uh, of 500,000 square feet. So it's a, it's, a, it's a wide range and we definitely uh, are able to help out in that design phase. And then the second part is the operational consulting. And uh, I think there you come in more in a cultivation system which has already been developed and uh, trying to improve that system. And uh, there, it is important that the client for us is open to uh, do some changes, but we never going to recommend to do changes overboard. We always right. want to introduce changes on small scale first, try them out. So... It's a safety for us that it works, but it is safety for the client as well that it works. And we like to operate that way, but the client, in this case, has to be open to work together in finding the best solution.
0: Yeah, and that really goes to uh, show your scientific method and background, right? You don't want to apply something immediately across an entire canopy. Um, You want to try a little bit, learn from it, get that feedback loop and then start, you know, uh, ratcheting up. So what are some common problems uh, that maybe you've brought uh, been brought in to solve in the past? And um, for any growers listening, maybe they're facing these problems and they can call upon you to come help.
1: Uh, like we offer, we are now more or less have an experience in the whole cultivation process. <clears throat> uh, one thing we see a lot is definitely... Uh, Fertilization irrigations are often quite challenging for our clients. Uh, and they're because it, they're often quite technical and require a technical knowledge, calculations, and so on. Mm-hmm. That's definitely, but also where it comes, the experience comes a bit more into play is canopy management, where you actually need to go into the facility, see how the crop looks like, and give recommendations based on that. Uh, But we did also definitely uh, setting up uh, integrated pest management programs or even uh, defining your labor better. So labor requirements, division of roles and uh, labor tracking. And uh, one thing what we also implement quite a bit is uh, data collection programs. Every grow will improve over time. And so we definitely can help set up a data collection program where uh, data is collected from the growing process, analyzed, and based on that findings, then we try to improve the cultivation process.
0: So what you were mentioning right there about the data collection and building databases and stuff like that, um, what are some common tools that you would use uh, to build something?
1: Uh, it's depending on the size of the facility. It definitely different. This can be as easy as having uh, Excel sheets, uh, as uh, more uh, comprehensive of creating web apps for mm-hmm. the data input, and then having uh, setting up scripts for the data analysis, and which gives you an output on graphs and uh, tables and so on depends on the size of the facility, on the requirement, what our mm-hmm. clients has, and uh, how many deep people are going to input data. Right. So we are quite flexible and develop systems for big-scale producers, but also for small-scale producers.
0: That's excellent. And the best growers that I have filmed uh, in the past five years, they always have a method for measuring their growth. Um, you know, there's just, it's really difficult, uh, to grow, whether it's personally or professionally, if you're not tracking your progress. Right. Um, so that's great that you guys have that in place. And, um, I'm curious, uh, what's an average project, uh, a consulting project, uh, run? Are we talking three weeks? we talking three months, three years. Um, what would you, uh, say is, uh, typical?
1: Uh, really depends on the needs of the client. We are quite flexible with that, although in certain cases, especially if it's crop consulting, it's we try to find a long term relationship with our client. We prefer it because once you start uh, introducing changes and uh, improvements and new techniques, it's not going to be solved. Uh, from one week to another. It takes time for a crop to grow. That doesn't mean that we're going to have to check in with the client twice a week, but uh, it goes over a longer period of time. So uh, for one client, we actually consult almost two years for now for wow. with the same client. Whereas for other clients, when it's some design parameters or developing a fertilization program or so on, then it can be a couple of months only it really depends Mm -hmm. on the needs of the clients and we are quite flexible with that
0: yeah well it's great to know um for all the growers out there that might be calling upon you that you can uh you know sign up for two months all the way to two years uh that's a pretty uh wide window and uh i know you are a contributing author uh to this upcoming book and and you and your team are writing about canopy management um, You're working with us on CannaCrips Consulting. What other projects are on the horizon for you, Philip? Uh,
1: currently, yeah. my Mostly with uh, Cannabis Consulting, what I currently do. I'm really excited about the project with uh, CannaCrips now. Uh, CannaCrips Consulting. And uh, I mostly uh, focused on... Uh, on consulting, and uh, because I find so much pleasure in it, I really like to help out uh, clients basically, and see when you suggest something and they implement it, and uh, and then they see the results, and that's that's something which I think I have still. I I find a lot of pleasure in that, and uh, I think I've still also to learn about this. That's another principle you have never learned out in the horticultural industry. in Right.
0: Yeah. And we were talking on one of the breaks that uh, you were actually raised and grew up in a small town that kind of led to you speaking both German and Italian, and then the Italian allows you to speak some Spanish. And of course, your English is incredible. So you speak four languages. So you yes. can have clients all around the world uh, to call upon you.
1: Yes, like languages have never been difficult for me. And uh, I think, yeah, I speak three languages on, uh, on uh, university level, so German, Italian. And I think English is also quite Absolutely. good. And uh, I spoke also and had clients in Spanish and uh, I, I can communicate them well and I can make, make myself understood.
0: So I know that we're working with both yourself and a couple other partners at Sustanza to make up Candy Cribs Consulting. Could you give our audience a little bit more background on these other partners? Because we will be uh, inviting them to the podcast as well.
1: Uh, yes, I'm actually working, I founded Sustenza Global with Juan Gutierrez two years ago. He's also a professional uh, horticulturalist which worked in the ornamental space for many years before in 2014 uh, joined Met Relief and the cannabis space. And he's quite knowledgeable also in big large scale production. Uh, and recently, we had another addition to our team, uh, which is Darren Kaplan. He's the first PhD on cannabis production and controlled environment in North yeah. America. And uh, he also brings a lot of scientific knowledge to the table. But he operated also a cannabis facility and set up uh, big cannabis research facilities from Hawthorne in Kelowna.
0: That's incredible. Well, I'm looking forward to interviewing both of them, uh, sharing their knowledge with the world. And for all the audience members out there, when you hire Canacribs Consulting, you are getting the full team here um, to help you and grow in, in your facility. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today, Philip. Um, I know we covered uh, canopy management, uh, but I am always open to do more interviews on more subjects with you you are extremely knowledgeable and uh, just really uh, grateful for you to join us today
1: it was a pleasure talking to you today and then always open to share my knowledge uh, and i really enjoyed it
0: thanks for joining us today on the canic podcast brought to you by the top brands in the game we have five categories we want to highlight to help you elevate your craft. Starting with cultivation by Grodan, lighting by Horticultural Lighting Group, nutrients by Athena, post harvest by Green Bros, and the dispensary category by Trees. Thank you to these partners for helping us create this podcast and bring more knowledge to your garden. If you want to support the Canacribs podcast, head on over to the link in the description or go to growershouse.com and check out these industry leaders today. While you're there, check us out on Instagram and join the Growers Network Forum to meet growers all around the world just like you. Happy growing.